This time on Poll Hub, polling on the generic ballot, whatever that is, in 2018 was, well, pretty darn accurate. We will dive in to explain not only what the generic ballot is, but why everybody seemed to have done so well. Then from a newsman who knows Congress perhaps better than anybody, McClatchy's congressional editor, David Lightman, now that the midterms are behind us and the Democrats are ending up with a pretty big blue wave after all, what now? What's going to happen? Lots to cover. So let's get going. And hi, everybody. Welcome to Poll Hub. I'm Jenny Dapper, Director of Innovation here at the Marist Poll. And I'm Barbara Carvalho, Director of the Marist Poll. And I'm Lee Marigoff, Director of the Marist College Institute for Public Opinion. We've talked about uh, the generic ballot before. And real quick, explain what it is before we explain why we're talking about it. Well, when we look at congressional races in particular, uh, where the candidates vary from district to district, pollsters ask what is called the generic congressional question, um, which is, would you support the Democrat in running in your uh, district or the Republican running in your district? And one of the reasons we do that is there's 435 House races every year. Often, a lot of them aren't competitive. This year, a lot of them were competitive, but mm -hmm. it's it's impossible to poll 435 districts. And so this is a good way to gauge the mood of the country. It gives you a, a national picture. And as we've pointed out many, many times, it doesn't tell you a lot about what's happening in your own district. However, what was really interesting this year is we were hearing, you know, the generic numbers were five, they were 12, they were eight, they were six, they're bouncing along. And people were saying, well, the Democrats, because of the way districts are, you know, proportioned uh, and the lines are drawn. G gerrymandering. I Democrats heard of that say, too. Yeah. And, and um, well, Democrats need, you know, probably seven, eight percent more votes than the Republicans on this generic thing to really flip the House. So what was really interesting, and from a polling perspective, you know, we sometimes talk about the differences in polls, and I always find it interesting, not that polls are different, but that sometimes polls are pretty much all the same. And on this national generic question, um, going in, the final major organizations, the reputable organizations, all were between seven and nine, uh, with just one or two exceptions, in terms of the Democratic advantage. And right now, it's an, an eight-point-something, with some California votes still to be That's heard the, from. That's the final. Right. So the final is going to be about eight, and two things. One... That's what everybody was sort of saying, pretty much what was going to happen from a polling perspective. And two, what that meant was we think that was going to be like lots of Democratic seats, certainly enough to flip the House and maybe even to run up the score. Maybe not as high as 40, but that certainly is an outside Well, limit. we're, we're yeah. at 40 right now. We're at 40 now. right I mean, now. It, it, so depending, there are a couple of votes still outstanding in California, but it looks like it's going to be 40, which is yeah. not a blue ripple. That, that's, that's a big blue wave. That's a big number. And the vote was enormous in terms of the, 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 the vote was large. Larger than the Democrats got uh, after Watergate in 1974. I mean, this was kind of like a record-breaking thing going on. And, uh, and well, turnout, uh, so, turnout, yeah, turnout was, was enormous, an, yeah. enormous on, uh, on on both sides, not just for Democrats. So our final poll, uh, we were at nine, among uh, likelies. And, it's, and it's among likelies, and it's going to be about eight. What does that mean, or what does that say that so many pollsters, including us, got this right? Is that does it say something about? Let's start. First, does it say something about polling? Well, I think it's, it says two things. It says the polls had a good year, but also the polls didn't do as badly in 2016 as the reputation that followed. Uh, in fact, the national polls were pretty much right on then, too, and a lot of the state polls were as well, even though there, there was some uh, controversy. But clearly... 
2018 was a good year in terms of these national uh, Well, again, the generic. national polls right uh, were, were right on. And I think when we are evaluating a number of the state polls, the state polls did very well um, as, as, as well. Yeah. So, so it was a good year, and that's why we're not hearing stories about the polls, because those are very popular when the polls are thought to not But again, the, well. the generic doesn't tell us a lot about the state-by-state state no, races. No, it does not. Um, not only does it not tell us about the districts, which it's technically you know, asking about, but at a national level. Um, but we look at the states, and I know people point to the Senate and the gains that the Republicans have made in the Senate. And so the generic is of a different measure than what is going on state by state. So is there value to it? Yeah, well, it gave a good indication of what you know this wave was going to be about, and that the Democrats were getting the kind of number they needed to to, in fact, not only flip the House, but so we couldn't say which House seats might flip. No, you could no, guess. You no. could make an educated guess. But but the polls pretty much predicted correctly yes. that it was going to be between 30 and 40, maybe 45 at the outside was the high numbers. And, and we're, we're and, sitting and at there, the high And what end was now. interesting was that, and, and some of our uh, analysts had pointed this out in, in the uh, program, in the podcast right before the, the midterm elections, was that um, you know there were certain districts that looked more flippable. Those districts in the suburbs around metropolitan areas where presumably, uh, you know, the Democrats could do well with uh, college-educated and, and more women voters, um, and districts that Hillary Clinton had carried uh, against Donald Trump. These were places, and that, in fact, was borne out by the results. And I think what we saw, and, and we'll talk to David Lightman about this in a few moments, but what we saw was that, you know, rural America is becoming redder, and urban metro America is becoming bluer, and it's even in the South, and we saw this with Mississippi, that, you know, sometimes you get a bluer metro area, even in the South, but a redder rural area in the North. So yeah. it's becoming more so, geography and less... Uh, so, less, Barbara, uh, let, let me ask you a question here and, and put, put you, ask you to talk about two other polls, the outliers. Rasmussen had Republicans at plus one just in the like two days before the election. The final CNN poll had Democrats up by 13. They both were basically off by roughly the same amount, seven, mm -hmm. eight points in yeah. both directions. How does that happen? Um, well, they are different methodologies, at least when it comes to the Rasmussen poll. Um, and what they were doing is they were modeling to the 2016 electorate. And so that's going to... There's a danger anytime you try to estimate the future by solely looking back at the past, because as we found each time, each cycle, it's um, you know we've seen a lot of change elections, and this this um, election, I think um, the big news is not only as you guys are pointing out in terms of um, the Democratic seats that were gained in the House, but I think the overall turnout, I mean, how incredibly mobilized um, everyone is um, and how they were waiting and anticipating, um, you know, the opportunity uh, to vote on, on both sides, to both vote Republican. for or against Donald Trump, even though he wasn't mm -hmm. on the ballot, as yeah. it turns mm -hmm. out. And the CNN poll, I don't have a, I don't have a good answer no, for. No, um, You know, we know that that polling the week prior and the week weekend um, prior to the weekend before Election Day, which was the weekend when um, there was the synagogue um, shooting, um, there were the pipe bombs sent to Democrats. Um, many people 
felt that that was really enough. Um, mm -hmm. And it really moved people into a more democratic, know, more democratic yeah. um, dem for democratic candidates in general, and away from Republicans. Um, but what we found was, as as Trump was campaigning towards the end of the week and the weekend, going into election day, some of those issues dissipated, um, and so we we did see a, a Republican surge um, at that. Yeah, and point. I even saw some of the national polls actually became a little less democratic on this generic question. A couple other points just by way of perspective. Uh, the famous contract with America, Gingrich Revolution in 1994 was a Republican plus seven. The Tea Party election was a Republican 6.6 .6 plus uh, in terms of the national vote. This is going to be 8.1, maybe 8.2 or 8.3 to give a sense that this is indeed a very large uh, victory for the Democrats aside from just flipping 40 seats in the House. Um, the other thing I found really interesting, um, you know, there's lots of numbers and lots of ways of crunching this, but one thing, it took all the popular vote in, for the House and different, put them in all the states around the country, and then they sort of made those red or blue, depending on whether there were more Republicans or more Democrats, and then they put it on to, dare I say, 2020, and they looked at Oh, it. no. Yeah, yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Somebody had for to do New it. Year's. Somebody had to do it. So and it ended so, up... What'd they find? 296 Democratic and 242 Republican. So that's electoral votes. Electoral and votes. And you need 271 yes, to so, win. And t well, actually, it's 270. And 70, you get, 270. Yeah, sorry. and you can well, get a tie at 269. 269, 269. sorry, it's 270. So, so you can, uh, that's, that's the nightmare scenario. Well, but this okay. one didn't have it. I, I, know you, I know you love the numbers, but I think <laughs> one final point okay. on this with regard to the polls. Um, we do tend to look at the margins. We tend to look at the horse race. Yeah. New York Times spent a lot of time in individual congressional mm -hmm. races doing that. But I think one of the reasons why it, there's a perception that the polls did well, not only because the the measurement was was good, um, but also because they provided a good narrative and yes. they provided an accurate narrative. And I think that that is the best thing that polls can can do. We are very happy to have with us David Lightman, who has been to Marist before. We've met him in New Hampshire for presidential primaries with students. Uh, David is a with the McClatchy Washington Bureau and is currently the congressional editor, although we've known you as a reporter for many years and, and now as, a, as an editor. And welcome uh, back to Marist. And we're very happy to have you here, particularly because, first of all, we like to have you. The second thing is Congress couldn't be more timely right now. <laughs> no, I hated, almost hated to leave, but I heard it was warmer up here than Washington. Yeah, for, so, for odd things. Which so, okay. it is, yeah. All right, so big change in Congress. Democrats now going to be uh, in control of the House. So I guess the first out of the starting blocks, what is the mood down there during this transition and, and what will be the lame duck Congress session? Jittery is the best way to describe the mood on several fronts. Okay. Let's start with the Democrats. There's a lot of anxiety about their leadership in the House. Mm -hmm. As you know, there's 20 to 40 members of the House, Democrats, who aren't crazy about the leadership team, whose average age, I think, is 78 and three quarters. <laughs> uh, and it's the same team, basically. It's the same team that's been there forever. Nancy Pelosi's been the Democratic leader in the House for 16 years uh, on thir uh, Wednesday, the caucus gave her 203 of its 235-odd votes. Mm -hmm. uh, she needs 218 ultimately to be elected. Um, you can interpret that one of two ways. 203 is a pretty hefty number, but it's not enough when they really take the final election January 3rd. 
So that's why I go back to that word jittery. <laughs> what could save Pelosi is that there's no obvious opponent. You've got to beat somebody with somebody. Yeah, and they have no one. Now, it being late November, there could be. I mean, five weeks is a lifetime in politics. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a nervousness about that. On the Republican side, they're jittery because there's a large group saying, gee, shouldn't we rush through all we can between now and January 3rd because we're going to lose the ability to do that in the House? That's why earlier in the week you saw all of a sudden new tax cut legislation emerge from the Republicans. Mm -hmm. You're seeing uh, calls for criminal justice reform. The wall, which I think in early December is going to be a huge point of contention, Judges Now, although the Senate won't be affected, uh, still, they want these agenda items out there. So it's a very nervous, nerve-wracking time right now. And is there a sense of the election itself, and and not not only to make it jittery, but is there a sense of people maybe in Congress feel, gee, the approval rating couldn't be much lower, and guess we're out of step a little bit with the public. Is there a sense of of rejuvenation at all, or is it just... Not watching, heading for cover. Yeah, people, again, go back to the jittery. Um, I don't mean to overuse the word, but Mm -hmm. normally in in an election like this, which would be dubbed a wave election because there was a huge turnover. Democrats, in the end, could gain as many as 40 seats in the Mm -hmm. House. But there's not that exhilaration that you saw, say, in 1994 and Republicans took over the House or 2006 with the Democrats or 2010 with the Republicans, Mm -hmm. when you knew they had a mandate, when you knew there was going to be change, Democrats somehow don't feel that way. Why why do you think that? What's what's the difference? A couple things. First of all, uh, they don't know, still don't know what to make of Donald Trump. He's got that 46 percent. Neither do the Republicans. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, It's interesting that nobody can quite figure out What's driving his supporters? Although, mm-hmm. as reporters, I don't, I don't want to say we have the answer, but it's you pretty clear a, to do me. You have, do you have a few clues? Mm-hmm. Uh, based on reporting, yeah. And I, this goes back to 2016, mm-hmm. and I think uh, here at Marist we talked about this at yep. the time. Uh, a couple things. First of all, people just hate Washington. They hate the system. They think government is sluggish and expensive and insensitive. They want somebody to shake it up. They like the bluntness. They don't like the stuff they interpret as racist. They don't like the hate. They don't like the uh, the bl- the bluntness necessarily. So what do you make of this? There's still an audience for shaking things up, and I think well, that's why wasn't a lot of the, yeah wasn't this election actually another another change. indication of, <laughs> of Americans wanting change? Exactly, exactly. But again, it wasn't. A clear, as clear a message as you got, say, in 2010, when there was a clear rebellion in the electorate against the health care law, mm-hmm. or 2006, when there's a clear rebellion against Bush's Iraq policy, or 1994, for that matter, yep. when, again, the voters were fed up with Bill Clinton and what seemed to be this endless chaos in the White House. Nobody quite knows what to make of all this. Is so- that a message problem, or is 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 that... Um, you know, by the Democrats? Um, or do you really think that there is just no direction right now in Washington? I think it's a little of both. Start with the Democrats. They don't know where they're headed right now. That party is barely, badly splintered. 
between the left, the Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren wing, that wants Medicare for all, that wants a higher minimum wage, and so on. And then you have the pragmatists, and that's the Nancy Pelosi wing, whose voting record is just as liberal as Bernie Sanders, but they're more willing to cut deals. And that's the conflict. And I think you're going to see that play out the next two years as they try to pick a presidential candidate. It's so interesting because I hear all these echoes of 1994 here. One is the hard line coming in, it's our way or the highway, don't make compromises, we're going to do it. The other thing I hear is overreach. Is, are those risks for the Democrats, uh, or do, are they, or, or was Newt Gingrich way more unified, and was the Republicans, were they way more directed than the Democrats are today? Well, what I'm not going to do is give you what's become a cliche, and that is things were so different then. They were, but you could say that about any era. The difference to me is this. After 1994, Bill Clinton realized the next day, oh, my God, the voters have sent me a message. Obama in 2010, I think his quote was, we took a shellacking last night, and he started working with the Republicans. Bush in 2006, I don't see that happening here. I don't see Trump suddenly— Well, he didn't. He came out and he said he won. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, and that's the problem, number one. But number two, Democrats still don't know what to make of Trump. They well, don't so, quite get Right, this. but so an overreach, an obvious overreach, because there's, again, a direct parallel would be impeachment hearings. Are they going to do that? There are a lot that want to, but— Pelosi's going to lead the Democrats. She wants nothing to do with it. Not unless— Because she's the pragmatist—unlike Gingrich, she's right. really a pragmatist. Right. She'd yeah. rather make sure that her the health care law, which arguably is her legacy, is strengthened forever. She wants to make sure that some of those tax cuts enacted uh, last year, year before, are reversed to some degree. In other words, classic Democratic things. If she could get another climate change provision through the House, she will. She'd rather use her political capital on that than impeachment, unless, and that's a big unless, something obvious happens. And here's another thing about impeachment. In 1973-74, when Nixon was under fire, it was bipartisan. Remember? There were mm -hmm. Republicans. When Gingrich, well, actually not Gingrich, but when the Republicans in 1998 went after Bill Clinton, it was not. And that hurt them. And, and, and this would be more like that. Exactly. And yeah. Pelosi doesn't want that. Mm, interesting. So the uh, – uh, now, but I, I suspect – and I, this is my thought, and I, I just ask you to react to it. I think we're going to see some of these committee chairmen, like in judiciary and elsewhere, launching investigations. And I know that is an impeachment, but it gets you away from healthcare and education and policy areas in the environment – and gets you into the us versus them mode and it, uh, an attack on you know on, on the Trump White House. Is that something that is much talk about now? I mean, are we going to see some of that, like in judiciary? For absolutely, example? absolutely. Uh, the Democrats have a long list. They're just as eager as could be to subpoena Trump's tax returns, for mm -hmm. example. Uh, they want to know about the Trump Foundation. They want to know about his businesses and whether or not they profited in the last few years. They want to know about his hotel four blocks from the White House mm -hmm. and the deal there. There's so much there they want to look at. That's not necessarily impeachable. Arguably, it has nothing to do with legality. We debate that all day. But you can subpoena people. You can have hearings. You can just keep that fire burning hot. 
and that can pay po- enormous political dividends. Can they can they walk and chew gum at the same time though? Because our polling uh, throughout the election season put health care as the number one issue among independents and Democrats. Arguably, not arguably, that's why Democrats are in control of the House is because of those voters. If they don't. Um, help those voters see progress on health care, and they spend all their time investigating, uh, I, I would imagine that's not a great thing for them. Can they do both? Can they walk and chew gum? Yeah. Um, you could argue the investigations, the hearings, are red meat to the base. That way you keep that base fired up. They're going to go out and work for you, et cetera. Health care, minimum wage, economy, that's what draws in all those voters, and you know better than I as pollsters. But from our reporting, it's what draws in people in the Mississippis and the Michigans and the Wisconsins and the Ohios. Uh, that's what gets them back in the fold. One thing to remember is that at the moment, and this may be part of the explanation why Trump is still even in the 40s, uh, the economy's doing just fine. I mean, you know the numbers. Unemployment's at a what? In many places in the country, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And stock market rebounded uh, today, et cetera, et cetera. If the economy goes into a recession, which it inevitably will, Democrats are going to be right up there in the lead. Yeah, it's, it seems like the, the, we've talked so much about Trump and the numbers and where he's at in the economy and, in, and, and everything else. And in any other presidency, a president would be in the mid-50s Easily, and maybe even at, at, at historic kind of Reagan proportions uh, if if it wasn't for who he is. But that kind of gets back to it's all about Donald Trump. Um, it's not about the Republicans for him. It's not about the Democrats for him. Does that mean that he could turn uh, a new leaf um, and actually cut deals with a Nancy Pelosi or a Chuck Schumer if he thought it was in his best interest? Because the Republicans— they just lost the House, so now they're not going to help him. Could the Democrats help him? Yeah, I could, sure. I mean, look, he's known Chuck Schumer for a long, long time. I mean, he can Much cr- longer than Mitch McConnell, right? Yeah, I mean, he could gave Hillary Clinton money, for crying out loud, when she ran for the Senate. Uh, there have been times when Schumer and Pelosi have gone to the White House and thought they had a deal. Yeah. Uh, was it Labor Day, two Labor Days ago? They thought they had shaken hands on immigration. Trump is not an ideologue. I mean, he's a deal maker. He does what's right. pragmatic. He does what's practical to him. Yeah, I could see it if it's a matter of political survival. Wouldn't shock me. That infrastructure bill that's been coming for two years, maybe uh, it actually happens? Or there's no money for that I think, anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Infrastructure is likely to be the wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But how about, the, how about on the Republican side? Um, do you think that they will step away from Trump at all? Because I mean, what we what we saw in 2018 was that Trump still had a lot of political capital um, in red states and bringing over you know a number, particularly for the Senate, in in capturing uh, those those seats. Yeah, look at Mississippi this week when Cindy Hyde Smith won. Uh think by what eight points ten mm-hmm. points could be six. i think it's six or seven well between we're still six, whatever it between is it wasn't between close. Six and eight. right yeah, it wasn't close right well and for mississippi it was kind of close. that's true that's true <laughs> um, but the turnout was amazing and and still yeah still she won yeah um the republican party needs to do what it used to do and that is uh, here we're, we're here in new york the home of rockefeller republicans right <laughs> Those are Democrats now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or independent. I think or you all told me years ago they're independents now. Right. Um, 
And they were always fiscally conservative, socially liberal, and the Republican Party put up with it, right? Because it was a big tent. And you still have the governors like Charlie Baker in Massachusetts, Larry Hogan in Mm -hmm. Maryland, who have just disavowed Trump and won. If the party can find room for those people, they're going to be just fine. But more and more, it's Trump's party. Mm -hmm. And that means, and I'm sure your polling shows this, there's a ceiling. And, you know, we forget he won with 46% of the popular vote. He gets 46% again in 2020. Things may be different. So crystal ball for the new Congress. Are Americans going to get the change that they voted for? Well, they voted for change in the House, but not in the Senate. Right. Well, so but, it's, it's, it's a mixed package. But I think they're looking, you know, I think they, they are trying to figure out how to get Washington to work. A, a majority, I mean, look at it yes. this way, a majority of this record turnout, if you just look at it as if there was a popular vote, Democrats won handily. So that's a that's a vote. Well, but, for I, but I think I think it's also about people being very mobilized and feeling that Washington doesn't work. And they're trying to figure out ways to make it work. Half exactly. of Congress is going to be running for president. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're off to Iowa. You're, you may be off to Iowa too. I mean, I know you've you've spent many a year uh, oh, campaign Lord. candidate watching. <laughs> but it, is there any chance anybody in Congress is going to get up like Nancy Pelosi and say, "Let's make Congress great again"? You know, <laughs> I've seen Nancy Pelosi do that, and I've seen Mitch McConnell do that. Now, it's been 10 years, 12 years. Go back to the auto bailout of, uh, was it 08, I think? Yeah. I mean, that was a bipartisan effort. The bank bailout, bipartisan. In fact, after the 06 election and Pelosi became speaker and the economy was starting to crumble, uh, she and Bush, Pelosi and Bush, actually agreed on an economic stimulus. It wasn't the big one later, but something like a $60 billion stimulus. These are pragmatic politicians. They're deal-makers. But that's all been lost the last several years. Yeah, but now the question is, to get anything passed, you need a Democratic Congress, a Republican Senate, and the White House. And Donald Trump. And so it seems, you know, there's got to be compromise or there's not, it's not going to work at all. And it, it barely has been working does, up until does Mitch, point. does Mitch McConnell have uh, an incentive to make a deal with Nancy Pelosi? Because we, we, I asked the question about Donald Trump, but... So Donald Trump has an incentive to do anything that benefits Donald Trump. What's Mitch McConnell's incentive to make a deal with Pelosi that Trump would sign? If he feels the, that the key message, as you, you all said, is make Washington work, make voters think things are happening for the common good, he will make a deal. But if he thinks it's in his best interest to slide along for two years, doing nothing but getting judges approved... <laughs> That's what he'll do. Whatever is in their best political interest, they're going to do. Well, I, I, I have to thank you very much. I mean, not only do we benefit from just, you know, this look inside Congress that you can provide, but very shortly you're going to be meeting with the students in Marist, and, and I, I so much look forward to you sharing these insights with them as well. Truly uh, great to have you on campus again. And, uh, you know, for the education, you know, we do lots of polling, but we also like to have you meet with our students and talk talk politics. So that's I great. hope what I say matches your polling. <laughs> <laughs> so far, so good. Yeah, uh, my pleasure. Believe me, this is wonderful.
Poll Hub is a production of the Marist Poll at Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. Thank you, Mary Griffith, our executive producer, and thanks, too, to Kenny Marples, our editor. And we'd also like to thank the Roper Center Archives at Cornell University who provide us with the ability to look back at data over time, survey questions and results. Um, and this past week, uh, right, we had a... Uh, the, the big awards dinner meeting, and you were down yes, in D.C., right? Dinner. In Washington. In Washington, D.C., Molly Brody of the Kaiser Family Foundation was awarded the Wormatowski Excellence Award, and so we were very happy for that, and it was a great time. It was had by all, except for me, because I ran into my former student of mine who's the head of the Kaiser Family a Foundation. A former student a of fo- yours? A former colleague of mine when I was it in was graduate school, Drew Altman, who's the head of it. You're not, th- you're not that old. <laughs> and, and he reminded me that our softball team at MIT in 1974 was called the Plumbers. Sounds like a good name for a political science softball team during Watergate. But during Watergate. What would you call one today? Well, you know, that's a question that we will put out to our audience. If you had a political softball team today, go with all that's going on in Washington, what would you name it? There. And if you want to send your answer, you do it to pollhub at maris.edu. You can reach out to us on social at Facebook, at Marist Poll at Facebook, also on Instagram and at Twitter. It's the best way to send us questions. We have lots of students working uh, in our program here, and they love to select your questions and send them to us to answer. And comments. And comments as well. And also, don't forget to subscribe. Lee, I think you've got the last word. I'd call it the gridlocks. Oh, come on. I think we can get a better one from our audience. Send them in, folks.